So as the ushers are taking the offering tonight, something cool is about to happen that we've never been able to do before at First Christian Church. You know, when we, as a large church, capital C, if you will, years ago we'd send missionaries off overseas and they'd come back every four years and you'd get to get letters now and then, but it would be a, you know, a six to 12 month, six to 12 week trip to get there. But these days with air travel and then with technology, we can be there. First of all, we sent Pastor BJ this week on Thursday to some folk from our congregation who are serving in Central Asia. Tonight I can't tell you where it is if you don't know who they are or where they are because they're in a closed nation and we need to be careful exactly what we say. But uh, Pastor BJ is there with them. They're folk from our congregation. And um, through the wonders of technology, I think we should see him any minute now. There he is. Hey. BJ, how are you? I'm doing really well. What time is it there in the morning? It is uh, the same time it is there, except it's just opposite. So it's about 5.25 in the morning. Sunday morning? Yes, Sunday morning. So I'm already closed, ready to go. So, and you, you left here Thursday, you got there when? How many hours did it take to get there? It took a long time. Um, I, uh, I got here uh, about 6 a.m. yesterday morning, so Saturday morning, yep. So, 24-hour flight, travel time? Pretty yeah, much. yeah, for the most part. Uh, the first flight was about 12 hours, and the second flight was about uh, five and a half hours. I flew through Turkey. Through Turkey. I can't tell you how sweet this is to be able to look and see. This is the guy we sent. Just, we sent you just a couple days ago, and there you are. It's it cold? Uh, yeah, it's actually not too bad. Um, it's been a pretty mild uh, couple of weeks here, so it was actually colder in Decatur than it was when I arrived here. Oh, that's still cold. It is still, yeah, it's still pretty cold. So what have you learned so far? Well, um, probably one of my, one of my uh, most memorable experiences was flying through the, the uh, international airport in Turkey. And as I sat in the food court, I could literally see people from around the world. I think every, almost every continent was, uh, was represented there. And it just helped me to remember that, man, we live in a, in a huge world uh, with a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of diversity. And what about our friends there in Central Asia? How are they doing? You know, they're, they're doing great. Um, I had a chance to go uh, with them to a few basketball camps, and uh, I got to meet some of the kids that they work with and some of the other uh, team members that they have. And I'm just I'm very encouraged to know that there are a lot of uh, good things happening in this part of the world for the kingdom of God. And what are you planning for the rest of the week? He gets home on, when do you get home? Thursday night? Yeah, yeah, late Thursday night, yeah. So, um, well today I'll have an opportunity to go to church with them um, and uh, meet some of the other uh, some of the believers that are part of, of their church. And uh, we're going to relax a little bit this Saturday. I'm looking forward to And then uh, later this week we're just going to uh, look around a little bit and continue to meet some different people. I'm going to go to uh, some uh, some of the different area schools. So yeah, it'll be neat. Great, BJ. I'll look forward to talking to you in the morning as well, in the other services. Yeah, yeah, or late at night here. <laughs> <laughs> have a great night, have a great day, brother. Thank you. Alright, see you later. You know what? Can I just say how cool it is that we have folk over there, and you know who they are, but we can't say it publicly tonight because of all the problems with visas and everything. Would you keep them in prayer? And we want to be certain that um, we, his goal, his, his project, or his job, if you will, is to go on your behalf and to give him a shot in the arm and say, keep at it, keep on, keeping on. And uh, thanks for sending him. 
The way in which you gave tonight helped make that possible. So thanks for that very much, okay? All right, let's shift gears if we can and take some time to look at some scripture. I'd invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, if you don't own a Bible, there's one on the pew rack in front of you, and we'd invite you to take that home as our gift to you. If you don't own one, you can see the page numbers on the screen behind me. And while you're doing that, and while you're looking for James, I'm asking Zach, so are we going to try a little thing up here? You're wondering probably what's underneath this. No, I'm not a magician, but we wanted you to focus on BJ Wall. Zach is, works in orthopedics, one of our medical guys, and he's going to help me out tonight. And the plan is that while you're all, do I get to keep this ring on? Yeah. Okay. So he does this every day for a living. Right. So you're gonna, he's going to cast my hand while we're doing that. So I need to move over here. Where do you want this table? That's fine. That's fine? All right. Okay. Do I, do I sit like this or what? That'll work. We're going to leave there. Okay. Is that how it's going? Yep. All right. So... Some of you are asking, why on earth is Wayne going to get his, his, his hand cast tonight? Well, you're going to learn about that in just a few minutes, because what we're doing is we are continuing to look at the book of James tonight, and we've been doing this for a number of weeks. Am I doing okay so far? Perfect. Better than most of the kids in my office. All right. This is going to be really weird to have this on for a long time, isn't it? Well, I don't have a broken arm, for crying out loud. <laughs> okay, all right. So what we're doing is we're looking at the book of James. And James, of course, we believe was written by the half-brother of Jesus, Jesus' younger brother. And as, you, as Pastor Brian mentioned last week, do you wonder what it must have been like to grow up in the house where God was born? It had to be kind of strange like that. And we, we have some clues with the scripture that... <laughs> Just as long as you don't go like this, okay? <laughs> we, <laughs> we have some clues that there was some dysfunction, if you will, between the kids. Okay, so Jesus is born. Then there are other children born to the family. All right? I've never done this before. And... Um, we, we don't really know how they all, the siblings got along through, through childhood into early adulthood, though there was, seems to be some struggles that, that the Bible would indicate. And then, by the time they got to the resurrection, it was all settled, and um, consequently, James becomes a believer that Jesus really is the Son of God, and so forth, and with that, uh, after the resurrection, okay? After the resurrection, he becomes a believer, he follows Jesus, says Jesus is the Son of God, and more or less becomes, if you will, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And um, i got a lot of papers up here, my friend. What he does in chapter 5 is he says, I want you to remember some things. And he says, remember this. And in reality, the book of James is the most practical book in many ways that we have in Scripture. So while... Zach has continued to do this. Can we read James chapter 3? Can you read with me? Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways, and anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. But he's saying, okay, it would be nice if you didn't say things out of turn, but then he says, the truth is, we all stumble. 
So when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. <coughs> Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also, it also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Are we done? About ten minutes later. Ten minutes from now is going to be really hard? Yeah. Okay, all right. Is it supposed to get warm a little bit? Yeah, it's going to get real warm. <laughs> it's going to get real warm. You forgot to mention that? Okay, because it's feeling a little warm. Okay. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So, in a nutshell, it's quite obvious that James is concerned about how a follower of Jesus Christ uses his or her tongue. He says, apparently, in verse 9, did you catch that? We can use the same tongue to praise God or curse a human being. Apparently, we have a choice, one or the other. And I would just ask you, what do you want to use your tongue for? I mean, I kind of like that he gives us a choice. You can do this or you can do that. We live in an age of consumerism, an age of choice. You go to any coffee shop and they, you say an Americano, but that doesn't really fit the bill. I mean, they need to know more information than just saying an Americano, right? You need to say, I want it extra hot, or I don't want it quite so hot. I want a little room at the top. I want two sleeves, or I want, I want a tall size and a grande cup. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's the same thing when you fly. If you've been on a plane recently, when you book your ticket, are you flying first class or business class? Are you flying economy class or economy plus? Do you want economy plus? It's a way for the airlines to make a little more money. You go in economy, but you get an extra three inches of, of legroom. Just three inches, mind you. And you pay about 75 bucks for the extra three inches. And you, get off, you get on the plane and you go, where's my $75 of three inches? It's not there. It's stuff like that. Or do you want to travel with bags or without bags? You can choose. You pay all the difference. It's a long way from Henry Ford. Remember Henry Ford? <laughs> Henry Ford, as he put together the, um, the, was the first guy that did the assembly line, he basically said, you can have any Model T car color you want as long as it's black. <laughs> We're not there anymore. The Ford company puts out all kinds of cars with all kinds of options, so forth and so on, as we live in an age of choice. And so this is the age of choice. Then James 3 is for us. We get to use our tongues to either praise God or curse people. What's your choice? This feels lovely and warm. Yeah, apparently James had some real struggles with this. He really had some concerns about this because 
Here we know that this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's some years after the resurrection, as a matter of fact. And if you look back at James 1, he says, he talks about who he's writing to. He says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he writes, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And they go, well, what's with that? To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Well, Scholars believe that this book was written a number of years, maybe 30 to 40 years after Jesus' resurrection. By this time, the church was long established, and really the church had been established right as Jesus' resurrection took place in the next two or three years, and it was all, everything was absolutely lovely if you read the beginning book of, of, the, of the beginning, read the beginning of the book of Acts. But then as the years rolled along, maybe five or six years in, the local Jewish leaders, the local Roman leaders didn't like how large the church was becoming. And so they um, began to persecute the church. And they get to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and they have the first martyr, Stephen. And as a result of that martyrdom, the church literally scattered all over Galilee, all over Samaria. At the same time, you had emissaries, missionaries going out from Jerusalem, including the Philip and the Apostle Paul. And you had churches that these people, as they ran away from Jerusalem, were setting up in places around the Mediterranean basin. And then Paul's, you know, planting churches around the Mediterranean basin. And so James, back in Jerusalem, it appears is responsible to send teachings and instructions to these small congregations throughout the known world. And it would appear that there were constant struggles within those congregations. Emissaries would take the word from Jerusalem to the churches and they'd come back with stories of great victories, wonderful things happening. But then we even have examples of where they get back and they say, man, you can't believe the struggle that was in those churches. And Paul writes about what some of those struggles are. And I suspect that James 3 was written in response to all of that. It's almost like I can imagine him sitting down at his desk, if you will, writing James, this book we read, and at times thinking, man, I just wish, I wish they'd stop talking and arguing so much and using their tongues to tear down each other. And I would just wish they'd use their tongues to pray and to worship God. You know, <laughs> we tried to teach this to our children when they were little. <coughs> Let's just uh, sing, a, sing a song to them about keep your tongue from evil. I'm going to try and see if I can play the piano. That's why I've got one finger left out. Let's see how this goes. <coughs> it goes like this. Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your tongue. So it goes like that, okay? That's enough of that. <laughs> and we teach it to them, and we sing it in the car when we're traveling. As the kids used to like it, though, because once we got to sing it once, like that, then we'd sing it once where we actually dealt with our tongues, and we'd go, Keep your tongue from evil, keep your tongue. Keep your tongue from evil, keep your tongue. Do you want to try it? No, you don't do that. <laughs> they thought it was fun, great fun. How's it going for you? Are you managing to keep your tongue from evil? The Bible's pretty clear about this. I think about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments deals with our tongues. You know the basics of the Ten Commandments, I think, probably. You got Moses, the leader of Israel, he leads all the people of Egypt, all the people of Israel out of Egypt, got probably a million people or so. 
They're in slavery, and through the next 40 years, they're going to travel from Egypt all the way to what we know as modern-day Israel, the Promised Land. And along the way, Moses is responsible to help the nation develop a new national ethos. We've been slaves for 400 years. We're no longer slaves. What's that look like? He's trying to help them to develop a national identity in regards to politics, to develop a system of economics so they know how they're going to run their nation economically. And overall, he's trying to help them figure out how they're going to do their spirituality. And so he goes to God, Mount Sinai, and he and God have a conversation. He's basically looking for, what's the law, God? How are we going to, what's the system that we're going to work with? What's the legal system that's going to govern our nation? And he comes back down with the Ten Commandments written on stone that had actually been written with God's finger. And he knows some of them, I suspect. Don't murder. Don't have sex with anyone other than your spouse. Don't steal and so on. And one of those commandments deals with our tongues. It says, don't misuse the name of God. Some of you in the King James Version. Don't take the name, don't take the name of the Lord in vain or something to that effect, right? In other words, don't use God's name as a swear word. Do you do that? You say, of course I don't. Of course I don't. But I wonder, I listen to our culture these days and people speaking. It's common to hear people say, Jesus Christ. Right? And it's not a prayer. Or they go, Oh my God! Is that the best way to use our tongues? I'm concerned about the common use of a phrase like that. But what about this one? When people say, Hold on to your hats, it's a little rough tonight. Holy crap! I'm not asking for hands who might say that, but I want to ask you, since when is crap holy? <laughs> I find it difficult that we take an attribute that is ascribed to God, the holiness of God, and then subscribe it to and attach it to, well, I don't want to say the word again. That's either devaluing God, bringing God down to, you know what, or elevating, you know what, to the level of God. Holy crap. You know, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then I'm responsible to reflect his mission, his values, his life approach. And somehow rather is saying, oh my God, or holy crap, doesn't seem so Christ-like, does it? You say, well, it's only a cultural thing. Well, then why do you say without saying the language, but just say the words, or the letters, WTF. And we don't even blink anymore, do we? Allow me, I, I want to be candid. Cursing and swearing is not part of my regular habit. But I'm aware that I work in a setting where swearing shouldn't be part of the culture, if you know what I mean, right? So we don't get to work in a church where you would say people shouldn't be swearing. I mean, if you came to the cafe in the middle of the week and you heard lots of swearing and to the point where you're thinking the air is pretty thick in here and almost blue, then you'd go, where am I? But I haven't always worked in a church. Years ago when I was in college, I spent a lot of time uh, for a number of summers in two places where the swearing was just pretty 
I spent a summer in a logging camp and a number of summers in a steel mill. And uh, in the steel mill, both summers, I was assigned to a co-worker who said he was a religious fellow. Uh, but he had a foul mouth and an even fouler mind to match. He said he was religious, and so based on his religion and his sect, if you will, he didn't drink coffee. That was the, that was the extent of his witness. And he made my life miserable. And I want you to hang on tonight because you're going to say, I never thought I'd hear this word in church. He was very unkind. He would often call me a mother effort, using the whole word. Never in a joking way, as if you could ever say that in a joking way. He thought my commitment to Christ was ridiculous, and toward the end of the second summer, and one summer for me was like five months long, um, we were coming to the end of a very long shift. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and we'd already worked 12, under 14 hours. We had one more hour to go. It was a big job we were working on. And I'm walking across the yard towards his machine, and there were a bunch of guys standing around his machine. And he says out loud, hey guys, here comes the effing Christian. And I remember being so angry, so angry that frankly, I got past my boiling point and I said to him, for everyone to hear, F off, the full word. I'm embarrassed to tell you that. They were stunned. I was stunned. Absolutely stunned. I didn't know that I could ever get to the point where I could fail to turn the other cheek. I was distraught to learn that I could be pushed that far past the point of boiling anger that I could no longer control my tongue. As a side note, he never made fun of me again. So I don't know what to think about that. I'm embarrassed to tell you that story. It's the only time I've ever used that word. For some here tonight, your boiling point is at a much lower threshold, and your language shows it more regularly than you wish. And for some, it's not even a boiling point at all. It's simply your everyday vocabulary, part of your everyday culture. And I would say, could we change that? Can we change that at least within us? We may not be able to influence the culture in this regard, but we, could we at least change that within us, in our homes, in our lives, in our personal habits? And so you go, hey, wait, okay, but you've you got to realize, wait, I really have, for the most part, a pretty good gait on my mouth. I, I, if you only knew what I thought, Sometimes you'd be saying, hey, wait, you're doing really, I'd be doing really good, and you should hear what I really think, and it's good. Self-control is a good thing. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that if we want an indication of the work of the Holy Spirit within us, that a measure, a mark of that is, um, well, Galatians says that there's no law against being self-controlled. In fact, self-control is a marker, one marker of a spirit nature. And so if you may manage to get a little bit of self-control over your tongue, despite what you're thinking, I want to say congratulations. You've chosen, as James says, to forego starting a forest fire. 
James says the wrong use of your tongue can set up a forest fire. That's good. But then I've got to say, I notice um, an interesting phenomenon on social media from time to time. People choose to write things for all the world to see that I say they'd be reluctant to say face to face to someone else. Some of you are, who are in that habit are in this room. You've gone from controlling this tongue to letting your fingers do the talking instead, right? James says, don't let your tongue start a forest fire, but I would suggest that sometimes when we type, our words and our language actually start World War III within our world. That's the cast. Some of us need a cast on our hand to stop us from typing or texting at times because our lives would be much more pleasant if we'd only think before blasting some crazy stuff on any social media site. Would a cast work? I, I, here's the problem. Putting a gate on your tongue or a cast on your hand is really not the battle, is it? Wouldn't it be better to not, not to have to practice self-control, but to change the way in which we think? James says that horses can be controlled by a small bit in their mouths. He says a small rudder can steer a whole ship. And in, in other words, if a small bit in the mouth or a rudder can, can steer these things to where you want them to go, then really good things that can happen. A horse can be sent to go across the country or a ship can go from here to the beauty of Antarctica and back just by knowing how to use the rudder. Your tongue or your hands on a keyboard, I think if James was writing today, he'd have to expand it beyond just the tongue, wouldn't he? Either of them can set up a forest fire, or the other choices, they can take you and passengers along with you, the people around you, to places of glory and beauty. See, it's not just a case of putting a cast on your hand or a gate on your tongue. Maybe that's a start, fair enough. But it's a case of choosing to think the right things and then say the right things. James says, we can either curse people or praise God. Truth is, we need more than a bridle on our tongue, don't we? And we need more than a cast on our hand. We need new habits, new ways of thinking. After all, our tongues and our typing only reflect what's in our hearts and our heads and our, and our minds. I need more than a bridle. I need more than a cast. What do I need? What do you need? I need a new heart. So Zach, come take off my cast if you wouldn't mind, please, bud. Because I realize this in and of itself is not going to fix the problem. Right? I need a new heart. Be careful. <laughs> you know, the Apostle Paul talked about this. In Romans chapter 12, he, uh, he gave us some clear instructions about not just our tongues, but our hearts. Can you take a look at it with me up here on the screen? He said this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Don't conform to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ah, there it is, right? Oh, I get to have my hands free. I get to speak clearly. Thanks, Zach. As long as I get my heart changed. I want, to be, I want my mind to be renewed. Because you know what happens if I get my mind renewed? Then I don't have to worry about what my tongue says. I don't have to worry about what my hands type. Because then my day will test and prove. My life will test and prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I need new habits. Friends, you need new habits with your hearts. That will then be reflected in our tongues and our keyboards. Paul, Paul says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be counterculture. Don't type WTF anymore and think that you're being nice because you don't write out the words fully. See, it's not really about swearing after all, is it? It's really about your heart, my heart. Swearing isn't the issue. It's instead, it's about how we use our tongue and fingers on a keyboard. Not just about swearing but to either destroy people and their reputations, to tear them down. Is that what we're called to do? No. If we leave those things unchecked, our tongues, our keyboards running unchecked, can present some horrendous problems. Because at that point, if we just use our tongues the way we want to use them, if you will, without a purified heart, we vilify people and we malign individuals. We gossip in untruths and we destroy righteous reputations. Our, our tongues can kill character, they can demean children, they can spew hate, they can, can declare racism and speak lies and scream threats. They can belittle the weak, they can crow ugliness, they can claim falsehoods and preach misrepresentations. Unchecked. They can pronounce dishonesties and proclaim false fictions and state-tailed broadcast fraud and even publicize deceptions. That's what they can do. That's what this can do. Or, we go back to the choice, we can use those same vehicles to pray and praise God. That's it. We get to choose, apparently. James says you can use your tongue to do this or you can use your tongue to do that. How's it going to go for you this week? Let's be people who develop better habits this week. Let's choose to be counterculture, not just to forego swearing, if you will. That's the least of my concerns. But to use our tongues and keyboards in new ways. And so to help you put some rubber to the road in this this week, I'd like to uh, invite you to have some takeaways tonight. Do you like takeaways? It's a little Chinese takeaway for you tonight, okay? Except it's not Chinese. It's Decatur all the way. <laughs> Many suggest, okay, I would suspect that a lot of people pray at the beginning of a meal, all right? And you say, and it's kind of, it's fair enough, but it's become a little bit perfunctory. And yet James says we can use our tongues to praise God. So may I suggest that we do something a little different, that in addition to praying before the meal this week, maybe this week we're going to practice a new habit and then maybe it's only a week long, but it's a way to get our minds around the fact that we're going to do things differently than the culture around us. So maybe at least three times this week, could you start a new habit with your tongue, praising God, that simply says this, 
God, thank you for this meal. Praise you that it's an indication and a symbol of all you've given me. Would you say that out loud with me? God, thank you for this meal. Praise you that it's an indication and a symbol of all you've given me. Isn't that a better way to use our language than swearing or cutting down other people? Would you say with me one more time? God, thank you for this meal. Praise you that it's an indication and it's symbol of all you've given me. Straight up praise. Thank you, Lord. Praise you for what I got. And then I would ask you to consider a second option or a second thing you can do this week. And that is use your tongue or your keyboard to do the opposite of cursing someone. Namely to say thank you. To say I forgive you or please forgive me. Or I love you. That's far more powerful than belittling somebody, right? And it's a much better way to use your tongue. Which brings me to um, just one way that I used my tongue one time that, um, well, at first glance, it sounds a little bit rough. I'll tell you the story. The kids were little, and we were headed to Disney World. You know, all families do that, right? I don't know if I've told you this before, some of you may have heard me say that I really hate roller coasters. So Disney World is a problem for me, in and of itself, okay? I like all the, you know, I, I, I just don't like roller coasters. They, they make me feel sick, frankly. But there are points along the way when a dad's got to be the dad, right? And so the kids were little, and... They said, Dad, let's go on Space Mountain. Now, I don't know if you know what Space Mountain is, but it's basically a roller coaster in the dark. At least when you got light, you know what to expect, where the dip is coming, right? And you know which way it's going to turn. But if you're in Space Mountain, you have no idea what's coming. And so they had these little carts that we were going to sit in. And they were about, I don't know, 8, 10 feet long, and they held four people. We're a family of four. And so we're going to go one, two, three, four, and I'm going to be in the very back end of the cart. And we were standing in line. I was ready for Jesus to come back. <laughs> and the line went on. I mean, I'm sure my blood pressure, moment by moment, was going up. And we stood in line for about 45 minutes or so. I don't, it, was, it was a long time, and I was more and more nervous. And this is the honest truth, what I'm thinking in line the whole time. Because I figured out what this is, Space Mountain. I can hear people screaming. <laughs> they be the dad, be the dad, be the dad. Be the dad, be the dad, be the dad. You gotta be the dad. You gotta get in the car. Be the dad. Okay, so we finally our turns to comes up and we're gonna get in this little cart. And we get in the cart, and I'm sitting in the very back. And I'm hanging on for dear life, and we haven't gone anywhere yet. <laughs> and <laughs> it runs down a little hill and it goes in the dark. And the next thing I know, I can feel that we've caught a hold of a cog of some sort. And we're <laughs> up a hill. And we were going to heaven. <laughs> we were going so high, we were on our way to heaven. I know we were. And then there was this moment where the cog stopped. You've done this, right? And you just feel a little bit of a glide. And off you go. You go down and around. And, and terror, terror, absolute terror. 
If you ask my family their experience of Black Mountain, Space Mountain. I love it. I often do that in the morning, though. If you ask my family about their experience of Space Mountain, I can tell you what I remember, how terrible. You know what they remember? They remember Dad in the back of the car, screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus, help me! Jesus, help me! Jesus, help me! All the way through, through the whole ride. Now, I would suspect there were some listening who would might have said outside our car, who is that man swearing the whole I'm telling you, that moment I was praising God. I was praying to God right there. I was using my tongue for every good that's got at the top of my lungs. God help me. Jesus help me, which is way better than saying, oh my God. We've got some challenges ahead this week. We're counterculture people, right? We reflect the values, the mission, and the life approach of Jesus Christ. I pray our tongues and our keyboards do the same. Let's pray together. God, we um, we're real people, Lord. <laughs> James says that when it comes to this mess of the tongues, that we all fail, and we do. Lord, when I think about that time. You know, I've lost my temper, God, and said things I wish I hadn't said, but think about that time when I, oh man, that word came out. I'm embarrassed, God. God, enable us to live our lives in ways that are different than the people around us. Not only in what we say, God, but in what we do out on the net, and how we handle ourselves in our family life. What we say, God. Truth be told, it's not just what we say, but it's what's in our hearts. Change our hearts, oh God, we pray. In the name of Jesus.